Howdy folks, I'm Rob Noxious. Today I want to talk about what makes great people great. What makes them stand above and out from the crowd. And there are many criteria and we could create some sort of, you know, long list of things that they did and things they believed in. But that's more important. What they believed in. Because if you don't really believe in anything, you just kind of live your life, you know, as Steve said, try not to bounce on the walls too much. Um, it's a very limited life, and that's why these people stand above, because they seek something bigger. Um, and they all have a few things in common, <clears throat> before I go down the list of who I think are the greatest. But they all have something really unique in common, and it, it is that they have no... It's. It, I'm just going to go ahead and use Steve Jobs as like a, he has some great quotes. And I'm going to go ahead and use his, here's the crazy ones. Uh, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently, they're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, <laughs> you can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. While some see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And I've been thinking about that last part, and it's a pun. It's a double entente. The ones who do. It, yes, they're implying that they are the ones who do change the world, but they're the ones who do. They act. <clears throat> and you go back, and he says you can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But you can't ignore them, because they do things. They change things. They try to make the world a better place, because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. I'm quoting him again. But you can't just go and change the world by, with pretty speeches and shoveling some money. Or doing a moonshot. You have to find out what it is that you are good at. And then trying to translate that into something that becomes profitable because you need to make a profit because you're going to need money to change the world. And then you come up with an insanely great idea. And then you keep working on it and working on it until eventually it, it's actually a great idea, not just something you thought up at 3 a.m. while you're high on you know, marijuana or drunk. It's about changing your mind about things, about looking at the world around you and not seeing it for what it is, but for seeing it 
the way you want it to be. That's what most people do. They look at the world as it is and they dream. The problem with dreamers is that they never do anything. They just dream. And they give pretty speeches and they come up with half-cocked ideas and they dream. They want to have a beautiful world where no one has to pay money and no one has to make money. And we can just lay around drinking rum on the beach all day. I love that idea. Actually, would rather prefer to live that way. But I'm not some billionaire with money out my ass. The ones who do. Well, what do they do? Well, there are many men throughout history, many women. Uh, less women, but I'll try and include them as much as I can. But when you look at it, Joan of Arc, she realized that she'd never be taken seriously. She had breasts. And she was supposed to be wearing a dress. But what does she do? When the king of France is deposed and replaced by the king of England? Well, she chops off all her hair, tries to hide as much of her body as possible, suits up, and goes and raises an army, and puts the king of France back on the throne. <laughs> we could go on a whole thing about, there could, should be a podcast dedicated to Joan of Arc. The woman is crazy. She's a genius. She did something. She didn't sit there and give pretty speeches and, you know, exhort the crowd and, you know, use pretty words. No, she, she put on a helmet, picked up a sword, and grabbed a shield and put on some armor. And then she went and raised an army. And it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of angry women. It was thousands of men. And they went and delivered it. They put the king back on the throne of France. And she did that by doing. She didn't just sit there and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. People like to talk. They, I like to talk. You probably figured that out by now. But if you don't do something, all your talk is just words. Words, words, words. As Hamlet said to Polonius. I always thought I was Polonius when I was a kid growing up. Because <clears throat> I talk, talk, talk. But you got to do something. Anything. Maybe it's not your best effort, but at least you did something. Joan of Arc, she could have been found out as a woman. Eventually she does, but the king forgives her because he's on the throne. He's the king, and he's not going to turn around and negate everything she did. He's going to say, good job. You fought for the crown. You fought for God. You're a good, noble woman. Honorable woman. Okay, I'm turning off ring. Like, seriously, this ring stuff? bird flies by and I get 80 notifications and it's really kinda just on my nerves alright how do I turn this off ring you're done you're fired she did something and even though she broke every rule she was a rebel she cut off her hair. A woman cutting off her hair in the Middle Ages? Heresy. A woman uh, masquerading as a man? Heresy. A woman raising an army? Treason.
all of its treason, but it gets forgiven. Why? Because she won. It's like Julius Caesar said, if you're going to break the law, do it to seize power. Otherwise, follow the law. She seized power, and she delivered power. She didn't make herself queen. She made someone else king, and that person was very grateful. Problem is, during that time period, the English, uh, they were a bit... Let's just say their ego was extremely destroyed when they found out that the person who'd raised an army and defeated them in battle and then installed a king on the throne that wasn't theirs was a woman. The English, they, they have an ego problem. They act like they're very nice, but they're very egotistical. It's why they're very nice to each other, because they don't want to offend each other's egos. It's always why they're like, yes, ma'am, whatever you say, ma'am. They're always nice and cordial because they don't want to hurt anyone else's ego and they don't want their ego being hurt. They're very egotistical. <clears throat> it's a hidden egoism, but it, let's just put it this way. A bunch of men got beat by a woman. And in that time period, you want to talk about your tail being tucked between your legs? That's it. This is not strong enough. I'm going to have to make it stronger. But she did something. She broke all the rules and ended up getting rewarded for it because what she did was restore the honor of the French. That's what makes someone great. <clears throat> they give people honor. They give people their dignity. They give people the ability to respect themselves and to feel good about who they are. The French felt pretty good, and a lot of French women felt very good because they, they, they're looking at this one woman and saying, well, shit, if she can do it, I can do it. Of course, it'll be a couple hundred years before that comes to pass, but just think about that for a second. <clears throat> but so that the English don't feel too bad and left out, let's talk about the English. Another great person of history. Also a woman. Henry VIII, not a woman. The son of Henry VII of Tudor, who had won back the crown from the French several hundred years later. Or maybe it was a, maybe a couple years later, I can't remember. I'm not very good with English history. But Henry VII wins back the crown for England. And he has a son. And his son just has a problem. He can't produce children. His first wife keeps having miscarriages, Catherine of Aragon. So he basically forms a new church to divorce her. They leave the Catholic Church and form the Anglican Church, or the Episcopalian here in America. That's better. However, his first wife does eventually produce a daughter, Mary. We'll come back to Mary. But he needs a son, and he eventually gets one, but he dies. And then he dies. 
and Mary, the English are stuck with basically, do we go down the line and look for a male heir, like the French do, or do we just go to the firstborn? And the English decide to throw caution to the wind and allow Mary to be crowned, Mary the first. And so Mary the first comes in as the first queen of England. A lot of the royals in Europe were very upset about this. Extremely upset. Except for Spain. Because Mary is the daughter of Catherine, who is the daughter of the king of Aragon, who is controlling most of Spain. So the Spanish couldn't be happier. One of their granddaughters is on the throne. And England and Spain will come together, but the problem is England has left the Catholic Church. And so the first thing Mary does is try to bring England back into the Catholic Church. The big problem, England has had 20 years of not being Catholic. It's starting to sink in, and there's religious rioting in the streets. People are fighting each other. She eventually starts having people killed. Prescriptions, the Romans called it, purge is what we call it today. Purge your enemies when they disagree with you. However, people loyal to Henry don't really see anything good here. There's no male heir, and there's no one who's going to defend the new Anglican Church and the independence of England from Europe and from Catholicism. I mean, really, there's hardly any difference between a Catholic and Episcopalian, but other than one's English and one is Catholic. But people liked that distinction that the English had their own church, and they didn't have to listen to the Pope. I'm not going to go into the politics there because I barely understand it myself, but during the after the Protestant Reformation, which is shortly before this time period, Martin Luther is either still alive or recently passed in the last half century. So this whole fight between Catholics and Protestants has just begun. However, there are some people who are worried that because they had switched to Anglicanism just to fit in, even though they were still secretly Catholic, they were worried about which side was going to win because there are rumors that Elizabeth, the daughter of Anne Boleyn, Henry's second wife, there were rumors she was courting, saying, well, if she can be queen, I can be queen, and we could put this whole thing to rest if we get rid of her and put me on the throne. And some of the nobility, seeing no other option other than to raise an illegitimate <clears throat> challenger and start a civil war say well if mary's been queen and she's queen for quite a bit if if a woman can be queen in england then we can have another queen that we like better mary was bitter she was haughty she was i think that's the right word i may be wrong yeah she was haughty and she thought she was better than everyone because she came from spanish royalty and a lot of these people are like Anne Boleyn, she was english at least so Elizabeth is a true English woman. This Catherine 
and this this Catherine of Aragon was a marriage to stop England from going to war with Spain, which at this period Spain's pretty powerful. So it was political, and no one ever really liked her. I mean, they liked her as the queen, but I don't think they liked her as a person. Yes, Your Majesty. Whatever you say, Mom. Your Majesty. Mary, hearing of this rumor, has Elizabeth locked up in the, in the south. Has her locked away on an island. I can't remember the whole story. Either way, this just further engenders distrust. And the whole reason why I'm talking more than Joan of Arc is because Joan of Arc raised an army and defeated them on the field of battle. There's not a whole lot of politics involved. <clears throat> because everyone thought she was a man. She played the game like a man and acted like a man. And so Joan did something great. She did something military, which is a lot more expedient than politics. Politics is the art of talking without doing anything. <clears throat> Elizabeth and Mary are fighting for the throne politically. That's why I'm going on a tangent here, because here you have two women who are princesses, and they're fighting for control of the head of state of England, a whole country. You could substitute Mark Antony and Octavian, and it's the same story. But now it's women fighting against each other. That's huge. This isn't happening in the 1970s. This is happening in the early 1500s. She reigned from 1553 to 1558. Now, I could talk about Jane Seymour. I think it's Jane Seymour. Is it Jane Seymour or is that an actress? Yeah, it was Jane Seymour. Now, they say she was the Queen of England for a year, but some people say that she was just the regent of the young Edward VI. She was one of... Uh, Henry's other wives after Anne Boleyn and had produced Edward VI as the as a son but Henry died shortly uh, before the boy could become of age he was probably about eight or nine when it happened so obviously you would need a regency someone to uh, rule the kingdom a nine-year-old can't run a kingdom you need adults to do it so Jane Seymour was technically queen, but she was more of a regent who was acting on behalf of her son, which regency, there's a gray area, who's actually in power, blah, blah, blah. A nine-year-old, are they really in power? No. They're, you know, nine. I know in today's world, in the cult of the child, where people think, Joe, a child could run America. Oh, yeah, you're going to let a nine-year-old have the nuclear codes. And you're afraid of Trump having the nuclear codes. And you want a nine-year-old. You think a nine-year-old could run this country better. Okie dokie. You keep believing that. When I was nine years old, I liked to blow things up. I liked to set things on fire. I liked to try and break things or try and push it to the limit. What are the limits? 
You know, you're a kid. You want to see what your limits are. You know, what can I do? What can I get away with? Test the boundaries. And you want a nine-year-old <clears throat> to run the country. When I need great ideas, I'm not coming to you. Mary starts killing people. And Elizabeth starts gaining power to the point where she's chased out. Another thing intervened. The weather wasn't too great. And so there was a lot of flooding during her reign. I'm reading this on Wikipedia. Sometimes nature intervenes, and it's up to people to determine how they're going to deal with it. The weather is awful in England and destroys crop harvests. It, it floods them and kills them off. And her... Her decision is to spend higher and tax more rather than just go to France and say, hey, look, we need a little help, which is what eventually the country will do. They'd rather pay a little bit more from the treasury of the French to get food than to tax people to death and not have food. <clears throat> But here's the big thing, and here's where sometimes you may think, you know, I go back and forth on it. Sometimes you think God doesn't exist, but sometimes you think he does. Her husband visits her, and she thinks she's pregnant again. In her will, she states that if there is a child, her husband would be the regent during the minority until the child became of age, which I think in England was 16 at the time. Maybe 15. I mean, they probably followed the Roman norm, which was 15 or 16. That was pretty much it up until the 20th century. However, she didn't have a child. Some people speculate, and I know this story, some people speculate either that she made up the <clears throat> story to, sub, to keep Elizabeth out of it, because if Mary dies, Elizabeth's next in line. And if there's no child, then it goes to the next person in line, which would be Elizabeth, who is the second child of, well, Edward VI is dead, and so Mary is the only one left. If she can't produce a child, then her line ends. Either she miscarried or she lied. Either way, no child was ever born. Either some sort of cancer or cyst claims her life.
And Elizabeth takes the throne. And Elizabeth will go down in history as one of the greatest monarchs in human history. Not just for what she did, but for what she allowed to be done. Elizabeth comes in and immediately she goes to work. One of the more famous military moments of her reign, Elizabeth, is a freak storm. Because you have to realize Elizabeth is not the daughter of Catherine. The Spanish are obviously upset that they've lost the throne of England. So they send an armada, the Spanish armada, in 1588. <clears throat> now I'm skipping ahead because she rules from 1558 to 1603. 30 years into her reign, a large armada of Spanish ships stocked with troops ready to invade England and reinstall the Argonians gets caught up in a storm off the coast of England, a freak storm that appears out of nowhere and sinks the lot of it. Sure, some of the fleet survives, but it won't be much of anything. It's not an invasion force. It's merely a, it's nothing. A lot of the Spanish army is wiped out. And some people think that at this point, it's when the Spanish begin to decline. Because after this armada is defeated, Spain never really grows again. After this, Spain is eclipsed by England. Because England feeling noticeably um, paranoid about their lack of defense around the island, begin building a massive navy. And this obsession with building a navy to protect their island will eventually build the English Empire, the British Empire. All because of a freak storm that freaks out the queen who says, build a navy so that this doesn't happen again. We'll never be taken surprise by the French and then we can use our navy to protect our trade, which trade will become increasingly important to England. But we'll get there. But she made another significant choice during her reign. She decided that I will let people mock me so long as it is funny. There are a lot of men in England who were uncomfortable with a queen ruling and not a king. So she allowed the arts to flourish, allowing her to have people to poke fun at her so that, you know, the men could get rid of their insecurity and they could all laugh about it and she could continue ruling, which is why she survives pretty much, uh, she was five years shy of 50 years, 1558 to 1603. She ruled for 45 years. 45, only eclipsed by Victoria and then eclipsed again by Elizabeth II, the current queen. In 
And if you think we're done with queens of England, we'll come back to them. Because every time a queen is at the throne and the head of England, big things happen for England. Other than a couple other moments in their history, obviously, um, Henry the, uh, no, who, who, oh shoot, who is king? Dying king of England in World War II. Forgot his name. George the Sixth. A different family, of course, but. <clears throat> because of this, about. Eight years into her reign, a young man is born, a young boy, in a city called Stratford-upon-Avon. And he will grow up as a bard. He'll tell dirty jokes and sing songs and write silly plays. But he will begin moving around. As people like what he talks about and the way he talks about it, he's creating new words. Borrowing from Latin and Greek to kind of create a new language. And using these new words, he can carefully craft them so that they fit into the English sonnet. Which is quickly becoming very popular as he's growing up. <clears throat> but it's really, he begins writing a series of plays as a young man that really catch the attention of the people and the queen shows up at a couple of them and eventually this young man William will end up becoming a patron of the queen money will be spent by the crown to build a theater the globe theater because his plays shake people. They drag crowds of wealthy and the poor alike. People pay top dollar. Or in that time, top shilling to get in. Everyone loves his wordplay, his puns, his odes to history with Titus Andronicus. Romeo and Juliet. Antony and Cleopatra. Coriolanus. Hamlet. Julius Caesar. King Lear. Macbeth. Othello. Time Timon of Athens. Troilus and Cressida, all's well that ends well, a phrase that is still used today, 400 years later. As you like it, the comedy of Eros Cymbeline, Love's Labor's Lost, Measure for Measure, The Merchant of Venice, The Merry Wives of Windsor, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado About Nothing. Something that's been going on the last two years that's much ado about nothing. 
Pericles, Prince of Tyre, the Taming of the Shrew, the Tempest, Twelfth Night, the Gentleman of Verona, the Two Noble Kinsmen, the Winter's Tales, Henry the Fourth, Parts One and Two, Henry the Fifth, Henry the Sixth, Parts One, Two, and Three, Henry the Seventh, and Henry the Eighth, King John, Richard the Second, Richard the Third, Edward the Third, and enough poems that some of these poems are read at weddings. And she saw this flourishing of the arts and encouraged this young man to poke fun at royalty, but also to in, entertain the people, <clears throat> taking it on the chin when she has to, and laughing or crying or feeling angry. And William Shakespeare, one of the greatest poets of all time, one of the greatest dramatists and one of the greatest writers in human history contributes more words to the English language, modern English language, than anyone else who comes before him or after him. And I know you could say that Canterbury Tales does similar, and yes, that is true, but Shakespeare dwarfs Canterbury Tales. He dwarfs everyone. He's still taught today. People know of half of these plays. They're still produced. Henry the Fourth, people love that. Richard the Second, Twelfth Night, The Tempest, The Taming of the Shrew, Much Ado About Nothing, Midsummer Night's Dream, Merchant of Venice, Measure for Measure, Love's Labor's Lost, Cymbeline, As You Like It, All's Well That Ends Well, Titus Andronicus, Romeo and Juliet, one of the most famous, Two Young Lovers in Italy. Othello, Macbeth, King Lear, Julius Caesar, Hamlet, Coriolanus, and Antony and Cleopatra. I, I, I can run through this whole thing, and you've probably heard of all of them. You read them in high school, in college. You know them all. I don't have to explain the plot. You know what they are, or you've at least read it. His works, 400 years later, are still being read and still being practiced. And you go to Broadway, and there's always a Shakespeare play that someone's doing. They're redoing it. Why? Because people love these stories. They're human. They're about humanity. They're based off of history. Or they have a compelling plot. Like Romeo and Juliet. Who doesn't like watching that movie? It's the perfect story. People love Julius Caesar because it's about Caesar. People love Tempest because it's about kings and overthrowing kings and, and pageantry. Twelfth Night, shipwreck and people dealing with problems in their own lives. Henry IV, England becomes England. And that's not even the one of the greatest that's the one of two greatest accomplishments of this queen she didn't even she just allowed it to happen she said let it happen build him a theater let him entertain the people her other choice was commercial about five years before her death in 1550 in 1598 she initially rebuffs but two years later gives a royal assent to a company called the Virginia Company. To go back, Elizabeth was known as the Virgin Queen. 
she never took a husband, and she supposedly never took a lover. I don't know whether she took a lover or not. She probably did. It's probably on the hush-hush. But she never bared any children, and she never took a husband. So they called her, in Latin, Virginia, or Virginia, in Latin. No, one English, pronunciation of Virginia in Latin. And they built this company called the Virginia Company, who are going to build a colony for the Queen in North America. And they land in 1600, and although the first time's a failure, the second time it takes. In 1601, they land and it fails. They wait two years to try again, but she dies before that they can build another city, another colony. She is replaced by her cousin James I of Scotland, and in honor of her and him, they build the first colony of Jamestown in 1603, and they call the area that they are building in Virginia. The colony of Virginia with the settlement of Jamestown. If you don't know where the story goes from there, if you're an American, just go online and uh, look at a map of the United States, and you'll find Virginia on the map. It's a state. Jamestown, probably not there anymore, but the whole point is that's the beginning of the United States. That's the first successful colony. The Roanoke colony had failed a couple of years before. But that's it. She, in a sense, begins the history of the United States of America. So if you want to blame anyone for the success that is the United States, you blame the Virgin Queen Virginia, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth I, who contributed two of the greatest things to modern human history. William Shakespeare, she allowed him to, she helped build, she spent royal money to help build the Globe Theater so that Shakespeare could reshape the English language and reshape English literature and culture. And not only that, but these plays are being produced in China. These plays are being produced in Russia, in Europe, everywhere. That's a hell of a contribution. She didn't make the plays, but she gave the man a stage. She saw something good in him, something great, and allowed him a stage to produce it. Now, I would talk about William Shakespeare, but I don't have to. You know why he's great. I don't have to even start there. You, know, you could name half of his plays off the top of your head. That is a truly great person. When you don't even have to name, you don't even have to describe or even go into a long history. That's it.
You just name what they did, what they do. And Shakespeare's in that list along with Elizabeth. Who indirectly created the United States of America. Next is Victoria, who does a similar thing and allows for the arts to grow. And although she goes after Oscar Wilde, she is the apex of British power. After that, the British power begins to decline into the World Wars and then, of course, into the Cold War. And she ruled longer than Elizabeth, making her the longest ruling woman in human history. To which one of her descendants will also rule longer than she will. Elizabeth II, the current Queen of England. And they say women can't rule. History disagrees with you. Because in her 50 years of power, Elizabeth single-handedly allows for the creation of the greatest poet in human history who has affected more cultures than any other poet, created plays that are produced in languages he didn't even know existed, and in countries he didn't even know were there or had yet to exist. And then she allows for a group of men to go over to North America and build a colony, Jamestown in Virginia. Now she dies before they get there, but they name it Jamestown and they name the area around it Virginia after her. The state of Virginia is named after Elizabeth I. And boy, did those 13 colonies that eventually get created really turn on the English and you'd think America would hate England right now we were once enemies but no it's the best relationship on the planet they call it the special relationship all because she made the decision to say yeah you can go build a colony in the crown's name one colony spread to 330 million people millions of square miles created flight landed on the moon has developed science literature and culture the likes of which hasn't been seen on this planet since the Romans One town, one tiny little town she approved of, created a group of people that I now live under. That's that. You know, every president in the United States is like, I've got a legacy, you know. I did Obamacare, we did health care. Yeah, well, Elizabeth I created a city like a settlement, Jamestown, that eventually turned into the United States. Your legacy is an inch. Her legacy is millions of miles long. 
because just her tiny decision to say, whatever, go build a colony, turned into 13 colonies that revolted, formed their own government, conquered the North American, middle of North America, went to war several times all over the globe, and has asserted itself as one of the greatest nations in human history. All because she said yes. Barack Obama, health care. George W. Bush, we went to war with the Middle East. Clinton, we balanced the budget. Reagan, we cut taxes. Kennedy, we stared down the Russians. Elizabeth, I'd say Elizabeth eclipses pretty much almost all the American presidents, other than Roosevelt or Washington. Maybe Lincoln. <clears throat> her one, her, she just said yes. That's it. Jamestown was founded in 1603. 200 years later, in 1803, Thomas Jefferson is in his second year as president, the third president. 200 years later, 200 years after that, in 2003, George W. Bush is president. The United States controls all of middle North America and Alaska and Hawaii, has a navy that is unrivaled, and has an econo economic capitalist engine that can't be played with. They can't even rival it. They can't even stand up to it. Even in recession, even in recession, that economy far outstrips any other economy in the world. Just 400 years after she said yes, 2003, the United States is the greatest country in the world. They say, well, China's powerful, but no, they don't have the Navy. The United States Navy goes where they fucking please. Well, you know, China's got a Navy. No, no, they don't. America has 14 aircraft carriers. 148 ships in its Navy. 148. And those are just the capital ships, such as destroyers, cruisers, and smaller ships, such as submarines, aircraft carriers, uh, bigger ships, aircraft carriers, etc. And then you've got smaller ships. Ultimately, the Navy could be upwards of 500 to 600, if you include the extremely small ships that are more littoral. They're, they're not ocean-faring. They're more rivers and, and lakes and shallow water. Littoral means shallow water. Her one decision here, Elizabeth, is one of the greatest women in human history, if not the greatest. I would actually argue she's the greatest woman in human history. She single-handedly creates a nation in which the arts are encouraged and one man stands above the rest, William Shakespeare. His works create nothing less of a total reworking of the English language and creating words out of nowhere that didn't exist before he exists. Creating poetry that is insightful and fulfilling. And then she decides to make a commercial enterprise to bring more money to the crown 
and single-handedly begins the process of American colonization that will result in the American Revolution and the American growth and then the American Empire that discovers flight lands a man on the moon and solves many of the problems that ails us did China invent the iPhone no America did did China invent Windows no America did that's a hell of a legacy had she not done that would there have been a Steve Jobs would there have been a Bill Gates would there have been an Elon Musk no we don't know how it would have played out but she made and took a small risk build a settlement I don't care do whatever you want I'm dying I'm old Holy shit, that's a hell of a legacy. It's the largest legacy in human history. Elizabeth single-handedly is the queen during the time period where the American colonies begin to be founded and William Shakespeare writes all of his plays. He dies shortly after her in 1605 or 1608. I can't remember. It's, yeah, it's probably 1616. So he outlives her by about 13 years. That's a hell of a legacy. And this will be part one of many. We'll go through many of the leaders, but I wanted to cover Elizabeth first because her decision to found a colony in North America leads to the country that I love and cherish and her decision is one of the greatest legacies in human history but that wasn't it she made other decisions she built a fleet and made the English focus on naval power the English would never be able to raise an army to fight France but they could build a navy to box France in and that navy will eventually build the British Empire, upon which the sun never sets. And then third, William Shakespeare. No explanation needed. And then you wonder if your president, Trump, he won't leave anything close to that kind of legacy. Anything close. Elizabeth stands atop them all. She stands with Julius Caesar, with Augustus. She stands with Napoleon as the greatest people in human history because her decisions changed the world entirely. And she had no idea if she could come back today and see how her decisions played out and see that William Shakespeare, the funny guy who writes very, very good prose, stands up to the test of time. Do you know who William Wordsworth is?
Do you know who Oscar Wilde is? Do you know who William S. Burroughs is? Do you know Truman Capote? Do you know who wrote the Canterbury Tales? If you answered no to all of those, I'm going to ask you who wrote the play Hamlet. Oh, that's Shakespeare. <clears throat> who wrote the play Julius Caesar? Shakespeare. Seriously, people know the plays. They probably don't remember the plot, but they know the story. Why? They heard the story from Shakespeare. If whatever you know about Julius Caesar probably comes from Shakespeare. Whatever you know about Antony and Cleopatra comes from Shakespeare. Who wrote Romeo and Juliet? Oh, that's Shakespeare. You don't even say William. You just say Shakespeare. 400 years later. And she allowed him to flourish. She gave him prestige by showing up to his plays. That's a choice. She could have said, I don't like this man. He's awful. And you would have never heard his name, and he would have never become famous. But with the consent of the monarchy, his works have entered into the English language, yes, but have entered into every language, every culture. It is translated a hundred times into almost every language on the planet. People produce Julius Caesar, Antony and Cleopatra, Romeo and Juliet, Titus Andronicus in Africa. They produce it in Asia, China, Japan, South America, America, Canada. It's produced everywhere because the characters are compelling. Their script is wonderfully written and the plot is interesting. And to top it all off, we're only human, and the characters feel human. They make mistakes. They fail. That's a hell of a legacy for one woman, which makes her probably, if she had had a military victory, which she doesn't, she has good luck but her policy is England will just protect the island and assert its interest wherever it pleases. And if you attack, England will attack back. This is the first of many of the greatest people in human history. Elizabeth I and Joan of Arc, remember them.